0: DIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new, nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more.
1: I think it's really important for new people to go out into the fields with the experienced people and watch how they handle the dog and watch how they set the dog up for success and to watch how they communicate
0: with the dog. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster.
2: Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everyone. This is Adam, and I'm here with Joe this week, Nick unfortunately could not join us for this intro but you will hear him on the episode Joe how's it going man
3: I'm doing great I'm just glad uh you know Nick's down at Adair Farms where he he doesn't have wi-fi I'm not even sure if he has uh you know running water down there so
2: (laughs) he's going off the grid man he's like I'm tired of the interwebs I'm getting chickens and
3: moving moving south boys yep I, I I was jealous though he he sent me a He's, he sent me some pictures or he sent us some pictures of uh of his training grounds down there and made me want to get out yep. there.
2: Yeah, he had his first session today, I think, with you know, live birds with his dogs on the property, and he sent me a video of him bush hogging and he's excited. He's you know, he always says he's living the dream. He's living the dream right now. And
3: li- living the dream can't complain, you know?
2: That's right, can't complain, and he's living the dream. So <clears throat> Just the two of us, buddy, getting it done this week for the intro. Uh, we've got Mark Whalen this week, and I'm really excited about Mark because uh, I knew him briefly when I was up at the Potomac chapter and just getting started with NAVDA and stuff. So uh, Mark's, Mark's a great guy. He's a, a, a straight shooter, and he's the director of judge development. I think I say that like three or four times initially in the episode. You guys will hear it, but uh, you know we talk about dog training and a little bit of background with him and um yeah i i enjoyed the episode um yeah and,
3: and, and, and i think it's important too i mean you know I, I come to Navda training days but you know i haven't tested jack or anything and i'm not right you know super into that world but um i, I want to make sure that no one gets turned off just because we have it. you know the head of nav to judge development that there's a lot of um good stuff no matter if you're you know doing uh you know AKC or anything like that you know just getting your dog ready for for hunting season and and getting your dog working it's a it's a great podcast for that
2: yeah and i <clears throat> i joked with mark when he said he'd be willing to do the podcast i said well i just saw in the uh the versatile hunting dog magazine that navda puts out i said i saw your article kind of giving some guidance to the judges about being on podcasts and uh that they're not speaking on behalf of navda so I'm like, "Hey, why don't you lead by example and come on?" And he had already said that he would come on anyways, but uh it was a good timing with that as well. So,
3: yeah, there you go. Um, well, Adam, what, what are you doing uh for Labor Day? Or this is coming out just after Labor Day. You have any fun plans?
2: Well, uh I spent the weekend doing a um a horse clinic with Jackie. Um so I will uh and by doing a horse clinic, I basically sat in a lawn chair and you know watched People work with horses and stuff. Uh, there you go. Not, a, not exactly what I uh, want to do. You know, I'm not a horse guy, but I enjoyed going. And it's—I've said it a couple of times. It's crazy how similar horses and dogs are, and some of the parallels. So every chance I got, I was pulling some horse person aside, like, "Hey, you know, this is exactly like dogs. They just weigh a thousand pounds more." <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> hey, man, and, and you're a good husband because you know you put in that work on the front end. Because I've—I, you know, I've been to that's right. Training days where you know J- Jackie's out there, so oh, uh, yeah, she, you know, she looked it, over at take. me
2: uh today and was like, Man, I'm really gonna have to do some work at the next Navda test or training <laughs> day or whatever. She's like, I owe you, and that's that's not how it works, right? It's not like uh we're keeping score or anything, but um, yeah, we enjoy deep. doing that stuff together, so uh, that's really what it's about for me, but- exactly. I did take Mitchell with me and and used horses and crowds of people as an opportunity to to do healing and of course you can always get out a bumper and do some retrieving just yeah, to that's kept, a lot of somebody's too. eye and and uh start yep. a conversation exactly so
3: what about you man? you got some plans well i'm in a I'm in the great state of Texas right now nice uh, so I'll we uh, right up the road dude. Yeah, no, we went to Texas for Labor Day, visiting uh, Kaylee's family and going to try to get in some uh, dove hunts. Um, we went some nice. clay shooting, getting, you know, getting ready for the hunting trips and making sure that my shot's there, you know. it nice. spend a lot of time, you know, getting our dogs ready, but we got to get ourselves
2: ready too, you know. Oh, man. Connor and I went out dove hunting a couple of days last week. Dude, we went through two boxes of shells and like both of us are Pretty good shots, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. I yeah mean, everyone well, always brags on Connor, right? Like, oh, your thirteen year old that kills all the birds. We could not hit anything. <laughs> and finally we uh we put a couple down, but one went down in the standing corn. And <clears throat> Nick and I have talked before about, you know, the the real utility of duck search. Like the purpose of it during a test is to to be able to evaluate the dog's independence and, and desire to get the job done, desire to complete a task. Uh, but I tell you what, sending a dog into standing corn for all the people that are into the retrieving games, you can't you can't give signals to a dog while it's in standing corn. And if you're going to yep. walk out into the standing corn, then what's the point in having a dog, right? So it was really cool to be able to just line him up in that direction, say fetch, Uh, I did have to take a couple steps into the corn just to get him to realize like, oh, that's where I'm going. And man, he, I mean, he went into the sea of standing corn and came back with a dove and it was like one of those moments that you hear about, like that one retrieve that'll stick with you. Cause I thought, man, there's no way he's coming back with this bird. Sure enough. He brought it right back. So versatile hunting dog. Yeah, buddy. You guys got any dogs lined up to hunt with you for your dove hunt?
3: Well, you know, my my father in law has um, English pointers, um, yep. and unlike Jack, they actually do retrieve. So we might we might bring one of them, who's not as much of a, a runner, you know, and <laughs> yeah, one that will kind of sit with us. And we'll we'll, we'll see, we'll see what yep. what happens. Uh, but uh, I did want to make sure because uh, Nick would get mad at me. Uh, yeah. We have a life advice from Adam to Adam this week,
2: <laughs> dude. I thought I would. Uh squeak under the radar since we nope. are oh, not no. doing
3: this intro. No, we, got, we got to make sure that uh, this still happens. I mean, it's the most popular segment we do. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. Get it out <laughs> of the way, Joe. So, so, I, have, so I have had the uh, the honor of having dinner at your home uh, multiple times. So yeah. uh, I guess the word is out of how good of a cook uh, you are. So uh, this is Jackie's Adam. a way
2: better cook than I am. Uh,
3: this is Adam.
2: <laughs> Let me get that in there right <laughs> yeah. now. Uh,
3: well, I guess, hey. <laughs> Hey, Adam is asking you. He's not asking Jackie. All right. All right. Now, this is Adam from L.A., which I know it's Adam from Louisiana and not Adam from Los Angeles, although that would be pretty cool if Adam from Los Angeles was asking this. But uh, judging by the question, uh, it's going to be Louisiana. Okay. Um, He wants to uh, say that he loves the podcast, and he said, a few weeks back, you mentioned a quick bit about eating chucker training birds. Have you ever tried… Them, or other birds, or any other wild game in gumbo, also, when serving your gumbo, do you do it the right way and put the gumbo first and the rice on top, or do you do it the wrong way and go rice first?
2: Oh, very nice. Uh, I guess I do it the wrong way and put the rice on the bottom and then the gumbo on top. i didn't know that was wrong, so I will try it the right way the next time I eat gumbo. Um, ironically, I did cook some uh chucker last week that i had thrown in the freezer you know just from a day a, a lot of times we finish training and there'll be multiple people they're like do you want these birds do you want them I'm like yep i'll take them and i'll bring them home I'm like all right kids breast these birds out and then i'll put them in a bag and freeze them and then uh get them out and kind of try my hand at a new recipe so quick recipe for you if we got time for it we got time for the recipe
3: joe oh i think so Okay. I, I know people I, I don't know um you might have made a lot of people mad by telling them how you actually you know do your gumbo but so a lot of people might yeah. be off right now but <laughs> they're
2: probably
3: the people who haven't hit that 15 second skip button uh i'm sure they'd love to hear it
2: yep so uh i actually rolled the chucker breast and uh some fl- it's pre seasoned flour. It's a brand called Kentucky Kernel. Rolled it in that, put just a little bit of oil, I'm not deep frying them, just pan frying them in an iron skillet, brown them in the, uh, in the skillet. And then I put the, um, the chucker breast in a crock pot and with like, I don't know, five or six cups of water and got them going, you know, pretty hot. Put the crock pot on high and I added, uh, some peppers from the garden, All right. celery. Um, I minced up some onion and garlic, of course, and sauteed it in the pan that I used for the chucker and then scraped that in there. Uh, I'm trying to think. Added some more salt, pepper. Uh, man, that was it. And just let, that, let the crock pot go for about three hours and came back and put that over rice. And it was... Phenomenal. It's probably the best, the best like training chucker pen wow. race chucker I've ever eaten. It was really tender and where I had rolled it in flour and then pan seared it, then put it in the crock pot. It kind of made a roux or a gravy, a gravy, not a roux. It made it like kind of a gravy, a thicker broth in the crock pot when I did that. So, oh, wow. and I put wow. uh, an entire stick of butter in the crock pot as well.
3: Look at that. A life advice from Adam <laughs> turns into in the kitchen with Adam.
2: Oh, man. Uh, New segment. You'll have me like doing a little cooking show in the in the kitchen.
3: Well, I, I want to let you know that um, as I was driving the other day, I, I thought about your name and yeah. realized that your initials is Raw. That's right. And I thought that was pretty cool. R-A-W. So uh, we it could be called Raw Kitchen. Or oh, raw man. Cooking. And that That'd could be, cool. be, I mean, you know, I've... Just, just a thought. Raw cooking. I don't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right, we'll oh, stop man. talking.
3: And uh, you know, yeah. I, I know Mark's a lot more interesting than we are. So there, people are probably just already skipped us. But for sure, uh, make sure you guys follow us um, on our socials. You guys already know it's uh, Gundoggy Yourself, uh, the easy place to go for all things Gundoggy Yourself is just that uh, GundoggyYourself.com, Yourself dot com. Anything else, Adam? That's it. Y'all enjoy the episode. All right. See you.
0: There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's this one thing that's not up for debate. All hunters and dog hunters know you need the right gear, not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkeys Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conkeys is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out ConkeysOutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels and even tie down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck so if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend head on over to GunDogItYourself.com and click on the gunner link be sure to purchase your kennel accessories and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast
2: All right, everybody, we got Mark Whalen on the line this week. Mark, thanks for coming on.
0: No problem. Glad to
1: do it.
2: Yeah, and uh, for those of you that don't know, Mark is the Director of Judge Development for NAVDA. Obviously, we talk about NAVDA all the time, so we're privileged to have Mark Whalen on. He's the Director of Judge Development. Mark, can you start off by telling us what that position means and, and what you do as the Director of Judge Development?
1: Uh, That position is part of the NAVDA Executive Council. Um, I work closely with the Judging and Testing Committee, which which I'm also a member of. Um, I also work closely with uh, the Apprentice Judge Program Manager, um, bringing apprentices along through the system. And... In addition, um, I, the judges' workshop, we do a judges' workshop every year, which uh, to keep current, judges need to attend that every three years. This year it's going to be virtual. So um, I'm responsible for making up the agenda for that and uh, running the meeting um, and also keeping judges current on you know, clarification of rules, things that come up in the field, um, making sure that they fulfill the commitment to be a judge, um, and sometimes it's like a full-time job.
2: enjoy it no i'm sure Well, we want to get into the details of all that but uh you know since you're a member of the executive council we've we've had some judges on in the past i think you're aware of that and uh usually they have to preface the podcast with i'm not speaking on behalf of navda but the good news is you can speak on behalf of navda um and and i know you and i have a, a brief history of knowing each other and uh i want to share a little story with the listeners first uh and you may not remember this, but uh uh-oh. yeah, <laughs> I'm going to tell stories, right? So the, one of the first times I came out to the Potomac chapter, you were helping a guy with a dog and you're out in the field. The guy's working on steadiness. I'll leave his name out of this, but you know, the dog finished a sequence and, and he kind of looked up at you cause you were like handling him per se. And you're like, praise your dog, man. He just did good. So he starts praising his dog and it's like lavish praise. I mean, he's just pouring it on and you're like, okay, okay. Not that much. Like tone it down. And, and Jackie like kind of nudged me and was like, this guy's a little bit intimidating. And so I realized right there, I'm like, you know what? Mark is the guy that if he's not comfortable speaking about something, he's just going to say, yeah, I'm not talking about it. So I think it plays into uh, your role and you can speak on behalf of NAFTA, but uh, I'm confident that if it's something you don't want to talk about, that you'll just leave it alone. Sure, sure. <laughs>
1: so I, so I have a, I have a story for you. to oh talk About intimidating. <laughs> I ran my first dog in 1987 or 88, I think. And Butch Mezick was a long time trainer here. Still trains dogs. Yep. Um, known him for 35 years. I. Came out of the field and I was feeling really good and he said that's a prize one dog with a prize three handler.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well that'll give you a dose of humility right there.
1: Yeah, right.
2: Right. I've right. talked to Butch a couple of times and uh you know, there's a consistency with good dog trainers and, and people that are not afraid to to tell you how it is. And I think you and Butch both fall into that category.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I manage a lot of people in my professional life, so it's it's just easier just to tell it.
2: You yep, know? tell it how it is, and and uh, that's the way to do it with dogs too, from what I've learned so far. Is you know, keep it black and white.
0: Well, while we're here sharing Def- stories definitely. with everybody, Mark, why don't you go ahead and tell the story you just mentioned when the first time you ran? Kind of give everybody a brief history of what got you in the gun dog world and and what really drove you to Navda and really get involved in Navda.
1: It really happened really by happen, happenstance. Um, I was at the local Isaac Walton league in the fall of 85 going to a hunter safety class and during lunch, Butch Mezick did a dog demonstration and he put some birds in traps and, you know, the dog pointed on the dog was perfectly steady. The dog retrieved a hand. You know, he shot two or three birds for the dog, and then he did a duck drag with it, and you know, healed the dog perfectly up to the up to the gallery where everybody was sitting having lunch, and you know, talked about versatile dogs, and the whole time I was saying, "That's for me. That that's what I want to do. That is cool. I want to do that." So after the session was over, I talked to him, and he said, "Oh yeah, we you know we train dogs right down the road at." the Beshers Wildlife Management Area, and, you know, you should come out. And I think they were having their fall test. Things were wrapping up. Testing season was over. Everybody was going hunting. So that spring, um, I went to the first training session. It was in March of uh, 86, and I joined. You know, no dog, no gun, no truck. Nice. Um, and I, you know, met a bunch of great people Things were very different back then. Chapter was really small, and everybody was a hardcore hunter, everybody. Um, And NAFTA was a lot different in those days. Um, So I ran my first dog in, I think, 87 or 88, and literally it was, hey, Joe up on the mountain has a litter of short hairs, and I went up and bought one. (laughs) Um, Never looked at the pedigree, never. You know, that's kind of how it was um, at that time. Um, and I got a short hair and who it was a lot of work, (laughs) um, (laughs) and went on from there, you know, learned a bunch from that
2: dog. Well, how'd that, how'd that dog and that experience turn out for you?
1: Um, the dog was, um, cryptorchic, had one testicle retained and, you know, the old timers say missing down there, missing up top in the brain. (laughs) And for, (laughs) for, for this particular dog, there was a lot of truth in that. Uh, I think it was a really difficult dog to train. I ended up getting, I ended up making dog a dog utility dog. I think he got a prize too in utility. Um, the first time I ran natural ability, I ran it at what, what, what was the Pennsylvania charter chapter. And they used to video the dogs at that time. You'd pay them 10 bucks and they'd give you a, you know, like a beta tape of it. Um, and I still have that tape. I need to probably flip it over to something that I can watch it on. but. um, It was, uh, it was pretty interesting, pretty interesting. I'm begging the dog to get in the water, begging, (laughs) and then, and then yelling at the dog to get in the water. So, um, it, it just, I I ended up making that dog a utility dog. I, I, again, I think I got a prize too with it and, uh, went from there and that was several dogs ago. So I've been an active member ever since
0: so really that just you went out there with no dog obviously you caught the bug you ended up getting your dog off the mountaintop like you said i mean when did you decide that you're really going full-fledged and and you know really get involved with the chapter and eventually judging and, and nabbed executive boards and all that i mean was it just one after the other just progressively
1: i, I think it's it was kind of a natural progression um there, you know, in, in NAVDA, um, you know, it just being around those members in the early days when I first started, um, it, you know, the, you got invitations to hunt and, you know, we all shot skeet together and, um, it was just, you were just hanging out with them all the time now. Um, and it's just, it really just became a lifestyle. It became a part of my life. Um, it just wasn't you know getting together once a month during the training session. It was pretty much all the time, and um, I just fell in love with it. And the the people that were there were great. I mean, many of them have moved on. I've seen hundreds of people come and go from the chapter in, in thirty four years, um, but a lot are still around, um, and they're they're really close personal friends, people that I hunt with and travel with, and you know I. I was the I served as president of the chapter for a little bit. Everybody did. Everybody takes a turn, and you know the the testing guy that gets all the tests together, and the training person, and you know I think it was it was pretty much just a natural progression. And I first started at a higher level. Um, you know, I, well, I I really wanted to become a judge. I wanted to help my chapter. Uh, there are already several judges in my chapter, and I thought judging would be kind of a natural progression for me. Um, So I started with the apprentice program and um, I I love judging. Judging's great. Um, Then I became a senior judge and then I became a clinic leader. And then they asked me to be an apprentice mentor, which I really enjoyed Um, mentoring apprentices through the long process of becoming a judge and, Then the person who was the program manager for the apprentice program, basically running the apprentice program, uh, Tracy Nelson, she moved on to run the Invitational, which is a job in itself. So I took her role over as the apprentice judge program manager. So the mentors kind of reported to me. Um, And then from there, um, this January, I was appointed um, director of judge development and Chip Bondi, who... I know Adam knows, did it for six years prior, prior to me.
2: Yeah. So just what you're describing about NAVDA kind of being, you know, a family and just a, an environment where you, where you develop friends. I mean, Nick and I have a very limited experience in comparison to, to your experience with NAVDA and with dogs, but, but that's what we've both experienced so far is that you really develop friends. I mean, in this case, we end up doing a podcast together. It's a little <laughs> bit crazy. Um, so, how has the uh, apprentice program changed from when you were apprenticing to what it is now? And just talk to us about, you know, what it was then and what it is now.
1: I, I think in a word, when when I first started apprenticing, the program was a little bit loose. Um, it, it was it was kind of just getting wasn't getting going, but it was, it was less formal. It was less structured. It's much more structured now. Um, there's four mentors, uh, and there we kind of break the apprentices up by the alphabet. So the uh, people with last name, a through F go to one mentor and and so on. Um, I, I think it's just, it's very much structured now the way we vet apprentices into the program. We, the way we welcome them into the program, um, the the time that is spent with apprentices, what apprentices have to do now, it, it was it was markedly different when I came up as an apprentice. It's much more structured, and to get approved, it's it's very clear what you have to do to get approved as a judge. And you know, in other organizations, you if you really want to judge dogs, there's easier ways to do it than NAVDA. Let me tell you. Um, you have to be really committed to it. It's, it's, um, to be a NAVTA judge, it's, you're looking at pretty much of a minimum of a two-year commitment. Um, 130 dogs you have to judge. Um, you have to get multiple and consistent, ready to approve scores from the judging teams. Um, and you have to go out of your area. You have to go away from your chapter and travel a minimum of two times. We want to see how people do when they get out of their natural surroundings because as a judge, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've taken off work on a Friday and, you know, almost missed the plane and get in at 11 o'clock and eat some bad food and sometimes stay in a great hotel and sometimes not. (laughs) And, you know, the next day you kind of have to bring it. So, um, that's why we want apprentices to travel outside of the region. It's a long process. And, that's why it, I'm, of course I'm biased, but in my opinion, NAFTA judges are, um, they're just top quality people and very experienced.
0: So, so with your, your ample experience in, in mentoring and, mentoring and kind of running this judge program, what would you say really qualifies you to, to be a good judge? You know, are there certain characteristics that you see consistently throughout people that come and, and go through the apprenticeship program that, you know, kind of stands out as they go through it and, and kind of meet the standard that you guys are looking for. I
1: I think a, a person, well, on a kind of broader spectrum, we, we, we want people that can get along um, if if you're in the apprentice program and you're viewed as argumentative, you won't make it through. Um, we want people to act with professionalism. And what we tell apprentices when we vet them into the program, when we welcome them into the apprentice program, we, we always say that the, the apprentice judge program manager, which is Phil Swain, he's from Oregon, um, and I did it before him, he has a, a phone call. Um, they put in an application and they have to get recommendations and you know, we pull their judge, their handler's report. And once we get all that stuff, Phil, will have a phone conversation with them. And what we tell them is you're a representative of NAVDA. And it doesn't matter if you're at an AKC test or a training session or whatever, you're representing NAVDA. And we want you to hold yourself in with the highest degree of integrity. So I think certainly, integrity. You have to be able to judge dogs unbiasedly. You know, I like vanilla. You like chocolate. I like short hairs. You like poodle pointers. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, it's, you have to be, you have to judge to the standard and not to the dog. A, A good field search is a good field search and it meets or exceeds or doesn't our standards. And it doesn't matter what the breed of the dog is or who bred it or whatever. So you have to be very impartial. Integrity, impartiality, professionalism, that's going to be really the core of the NAVDA judging system. Um, To get into the apprentice program, you have to have qualified a utility dog. When I got into the apprentice program, you had to have qualified a natural ability dog. So that's changed. Um, You have to have qualified a utility dog to get in, and you have to have gone to an aims and rules clinic, which is formerly known as a handler's clinic. And that is a, a two day clinic where you actually learn about what the judges look for. Um, a lot of people take it that have no aspirations being judges at all. It just helps you understand better our scoring system, how we score dogs and what judges are looking for. And you actually score some, they have some demo dogs there. So 130 dogs are, um, sorry, utility dog qualified and uh, aims and rules clinic to get into the program and two letters of recommendation.
2: So have you guys noticed a, uh, you know, is NAVDA hurting on judges right now? I I don't want to get into a big discussion about COVID because that's all we hear about nowadays, but it's, it's a real thing. You know, have, have we noticed a, uh, a drop in, Apprentice applications due to not being able to uh, test or not being able to attend uh, aims and rules clinic.
1: Um, not at all. Um, we just I think you know just in the last few weeks we've had four or five people get in. Um, and there you're right. There has not been a lot of aims and rules clinics. We had I think probably ten scheduled in the spring. They were canceled due to COVID. We had two on the same weekend a few weeks ago, one was in, I believe mid Ohio and the other one was Keystone. Um, and there's not another one scheduled, you know, things are kind of winding down now, you know, testing come October, the bulk of it will be over and people are going to go hunting. Um, but I, I thought the same thing, well, it's it's gonna hurt our apprentices coming in, but, um, you know, we've gotten, we've gotten quite a few here lately. Um, are we hurting for judges? No, I don't think so. We have 150, um, and about 230 30 apprentices right now, 25 or 30 apprentices in the system. And I think five people in the acting senior program who want to become senior judges. Um, we could always, you know, people are retiring or not as active as they used to be. So we're, we're always looking to, you know, get good people, through the system because it does take a while from you know inception of being an apprentice till to being approved as a NAVTA judge it is a process
2: and that's typically two years right but is that a is that a hard and fast rule or is it based on you know how, how quick you can get through 130 dogs
1: no it's not a hard and fast rule there there are um rare occasions where people will do it faster, but generally those people are very, very experienced. Um, They've run several dogs through the system. They've been training dogs a long time. And and it's really, it's kind of, the number of dogs is the number of dogs, you know, it's give or take 130. It's in that ballpark. It's not a hard number. Um, But the, you you have to get, Ready to, re, apprentices are rated one through 10 on their overall performance, and each day is considered a test. So they get, if they apprentice a weekend, then they get two evaluations. So they're able to improve on that from Saturday to Sunday. Um, and really nines or tens, an overall rating of nine or ten is what we would consider ready to approves. Generally, most apprentices will go out their first few times and get fives. Um, some people that are very experienced will go out and get eights consistently or nines. They're just, they've been in the system a long time, very experienced. they've run Their learning curve is going to be a lot less than somebody who say has one dog and they've you know they were they ran it in a utility test and got a prize three and went to an Ames and Rules clinic. Um, their learning curve is going to be much greater um, and it's going to take them uh, a lot longer of a a period of time. So there are a few exceptions of those very experienced
0: people. Right. What, what, What would you say is the most common hurdle when somebody gets into it? Is it that they just haven't seen enough dogs or that they don't have the experience or that they have a hard time, not seeing their own dog out there doing the task and they're, they're constantly judging the dog based on what they personally went through with their own dogs.
1: I, I think the, I think the common hurdles for, for new apprentices are they're just totally befuddled the first couple of times. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot going on. It's much different when you're standing behind the cards. Um, I remember the first time I judged the invitational. And so now you have two dogs and you have two dogs on the same card and it's very easy to screw your cards up. Um, you got to pay really close attention and sometimes you can't see everything. You know, a dog may take a 300 yard cast in those big fields in the invitational. So I think, um, apprentices have a hard time with their cards. Um, they have a hard time taking notes because we want them to take copious notes. Um, we want them to be able to justify in writing on the back of that card, the number that they have on the front. And we set them up to do that now because as a judge, God help you. If nobody's going to ask you why you gave them a four, right? Nobody's going to come up to you and say, why did you give me a four? (laughs) Um, but you, you start handing out some ones and twos. Trust me, people are going to ask you. The worst thing possible that could happen is you turn your card over and you don't have any notes. That that would be bad. So we try to set these premises up right away to take very precise, very good notes. And it's very hard when you first start out when to know how to write, when to write, and when to look. Um, you know, you, you figure it out as you go along, and it starts to come together. Um, but. Certainly scorecards are are hard for new apprentices, and the difference between desire and cooperation is hard for apprentices. Um, you, You might find it interesting, but generally newer apprentices tend to score more harshly than the actual judges do. They kind of look for faults instead of evaluating the dog's total performance. And they'll say, well, if we gave it a three in tracking, then we certainly have to give it a three in desire and cooperation as well. And that's not the case. Um, I'm not a scorecard balancer. I don't believe the scorecard has to balance. I believe our balance in numbers. I, I believe that um, you have to, what, what our job is, is to, um, is to portray the overall picture of that dog's performance for the day paint the picture paint the picture
2: yeah i would um i would definitely fall into that category of of probably looking for faults uh i would immediately think well if i'm judging a dog i need to be looking for something wrong and i i guess that's not the case
1: no and i i mean if i'm a senior and i'm doing the opening remarks a lot of tests i go to i'm not the senior if there's two seniors at a test the one that comes furthest is the senior on record so I've been to a test where all three of us are senior judges. Um, so if I'm the senior for the day and I'm giving the opening remarks, I always say the same thing. I did not come here to fail your dogs. I, the, we, the, the best time is when we can see, you know, great performances out of the dogs. That, that makes our day. We, we don't want to fail dogs. But with that said, we don't give NAVDA prizes out like Christmas presents either. Those have to be earned.
0: Um, yeah, so. because if everybody got one, then it necessarily wouldn't mean that much for the people that that actually get it. And you touched on it just a minute ago. Something that really comes up a lot. You just said that you know maybe even a, a young apprentice has a hard time distinguishing the difference. And I know that. Just the few years that we've been doing this and and helping out with the chapter and new people come in, it's hard for us to explain, and I guarantee you we don't get it right half the time. But can you touch on that desire versus cooperation piece a little bit more? Because I know that's constantly coming up as a topic of discussion between people.
1: In a nutshell, desire is what takes the dog out. The desire to perform the task, the desire to go out and, and point a bird, the desire to search that field, cooperation—and I'm generalizing here—is what brings them back. So, in, in elementary terms, desire is what takes the dog out; cooperation is what brings the dog back.
0: Okay, so um,
1: if you're looking, if you if you're looking at puppies, a cooperative puppy points, an uncooperative puppy takes birds out roads in, takes them right out, doesn't point them, you know, a cooperative puppy in the field, even a utility dog, uh, checks in, you know, it's not like a total team. Um, it's not a total team thing. Like we expect for a utility dog, you know, puppies are puppies and, you know, they'll, you know, but they, they check in, they're kind of in the same zip code, you know, they're, they're, (laughs) they're hunting for the handler, you know, they're not out. Uh, you know, chasing butterflies and running 500 yards away through the woods. Right. Um, that's an uncooperative puppy. So um, The like- dog has a, a lot of desire, but it's uncooperative.
0: So let me ask you this, and you're perfectly fine to just call me an idiot because the way I look at it, with especially like with cooperation and obedience, I say Cooper- cooperation is really obedience without a command. If they work with you without you having to command them, is that a good way of describing it to people or should I just stop saying that? Uh,
1: you're an idiot. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, if, <laughs> I was going to say I'll Nick, it, if, if, I'll if <laughs> you're an idiot, don't worry, he'll tell you. <laughs> you say
2: you set yourself up for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, we don't. There's no obedience on the card for a natural ability test, but yeah. Um, you know, they're they're kind of you know they're 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 checking in and they're not you know running around like a crazy man or woman and you know, they're, 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 they do the task, you know, um, you know, like on a track an uncooperative puppy is going to maybe when a puppy loses scent, you know, on the track and it gets a little confused, it'll just start searching and it'll go faster, 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 and it'll just try to search to, to relocate that scent. I mean, that's not very cooperative, A cooperative puppy, when it loses scent is going to, kind of stick around and try to pick it up again and that desire is gonna take him out there and continue to work, work, work until you find it. Um so yeah, I guess you could say it's sort of unwritten obedience, if you will. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Something I've struggled with uh understanding the difference in Mark is the cooperation and obedience. Do you find yourself kinda of going back and forth between those two attributes on a scorecard or is it pretty cut and dry for you for me yeah
1: no it's cutting it's cut and dry yeah i mean it's
2: help me understand it a little (laughs) better Then, if you don't mind (laughs) he can be the idiot this time yeah i'll be the idiot this time
1: (laughs) help you to understand what the the difference between desire and cooperation
2: (laughs) well no not desire and cooperation but cooperation and obedience
1: Oh, cooperation and obedience. Yeah. Right. So, So, um, you know, again, it, you're talking about utility dogs then because there's no obedience in that ability. Right. right, yep. You're talking about a finished utility dog. All right. So, retrieving, what What do you think retrieving is mostly?
2: Obedience.
1: You're, you're right. O- retrieving is obedience. Um, but, you know, it there, you know, you're looking at cooperation as well. Um, so if a dog, um, if a dog mutilates game on the retrieve, that dog fails to test in cooperation. That's, okay. That's uncooperative eating game. Um, uncooperative would be parading around the handler, you know, so you're gonna, that dog comes and parades around the handler and doesn't, um, you know, present the game nicely. That dog would get hit in obedience and cooperation. That makes sense. He's not working as a team with you.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. what are what are some of the things as the director of judge development? Some of the new I know chapters like at the annual meeting they'll they'll propose uh, you know here's an issue we have or here's a rule we'd like to change. What are some of the things that have changed recently and some of the things that are on the docket? to be changed
1: rule changes per se. I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say they're rule changes. We haven't changed any rules. Okay. Um, what we have done is we have helped people to, we have helped with clarity of the existing rules. Um, I, I can tell you that pointing, Was getting a little lax in judging and so was retrieving so we we went to the judges and you know we talked about this at the ec level that we have to really judge pointing and retrieving to the standards Um, and i think as an organization we may have slipped away from those standards a little bit Um, and now we are tightening up those standards people will communicate that we changed the rules. We didn't change the rules. We're just, um,
0: reinforce, we
1: are, them. um, judging, we are reinforcing the existing rules.
2: So I could see where yeah. that would, would maybe slip a little bit because it, uh, it could be a little bit fluid for, you know, if, and you know, the aims and rules a lot better than I do, <laughs> but for pointing it, it says, you know, intense, convincing, unmistakable and productive. And, uh someone Frank, might look at take you back. That's excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Um
1: That's that's excellent. Yeah.
2: That uh that could be perceived as one person as, you know, the puppy paused for half a second, showed some pointing instinct, and then went in to take out the bird, and you know, the cooperation thing aside, is that kind of what you're getting at with with how we're how we're judging uh, the standard on not- pointing?
1: We're not so much talking about puppies, okay. really, really where we were seeing it was at the invitational level, quite frankly. Um, we were seeing some dogs at the invitational that lacked pointing intensity. Um, and then the question comes up, well, how did this dog get to the invitational level? how did the dog get a prize won? Yep. Um, so that's when we really started talking about it and we just, you know, stressed to our judges judge to the standard. Um, you know, flagging comes up a lot. Um, and really what we try to convey to judges is, you know, some, some tail movement back and forth, although I don't personally like it and I would fix it if my dog did it. Um, you do see some dogs with a little bit of, you know, flagging, a little bit of tail wagging. I, I wrote an article on it once and and I think half of it is manufactured by us and maybe, or maybe sixty percent is manufactured by us, and maybe forty percent is genetic. I'm not a canine geneticist. That's just my opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I, I I know I don't personally like it, and I would fix it. But um, you know, we we look at intensity as generally the front half of the dog. Um, is it you know you know when a dog's on point and and the front is just the eyes are bulging out and it's just super intense. You know, and maybe that dog has a little bit of tail movement. That's fine. Um, If it's flagging to the point where the whole back of it's moving around, in my opinion, that's a lack of intensity. Um, You know, dogs that just stand there um, and you're really not sure if they're on point or not, that's a lack of intensity. Um, Sometimes the handlers don't know they're on point. So if you own the dog and you don't know it's on point, that's a lack of intensity. Yeah. Um, so we, we just have to judge to that standard of, you know, unmistakable, intense, convincing and productive.
2: So <clears throat> specifically I, you know, here's another thing I get a, a little bit confused on and uh, I'm, I'm not confused on it, but with where the rules talk about the dogs won't be judged on style. But my thought is if uh-uh. we're judging in intensity, then, and style kind of falls into that category. And, and I'm, I'm probably just confused about what style is. So can you help me out on that one?
1: So, all right. So style is a word that, and I'm not a field trialer at all. I don't really even understand it. Um, I certainly <laughs> respect people that do it. I just don't yep. un- understand it. For sure. Um, I, I, I've never run it. I've never done it. I, I know some people that do it, but they, they're, they're all about, from what I understand, they're all about style. They're all about that, you know, head high, tail high, you know, statuesque, you know, when you think of a English pointer, sure. you know, or, uh, or a setter, you know, um, or, you know, with, with one leg up, you know, the classic, you know, that you see all the paintings <laughs> yep. of. Yep. So that, in my opinion, that would be style or that, you know, so no, we don't judge on style. We judge on intensity of the point. You'll yeah. never hear an after person talk about style,
2: yeah, yeah, that I makes sense
1: not. at least I hope not,
2: no, no yeah. styles never come up in in any of the training days or tests or anything, but just reading through the 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 rule book, you know it it does mention not style, you know they won't be judged on style uh but intensity right. in there, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, with my first dog, uh the one I had before this one. I'm like, man, he's pointing, but he's not lifting his leg. And someone told me like, dude, that's just how your dog points, you know, lifting its front leg up doesn't have anything to do with it.
1: And sometimes it just depends on, you know, their movement when they get into the scent cone and stick it. I mean, some dogs lift their back leg up, you know, they're just, they're, they're they're taking a step and they're like, Oh, you know, here it is. And they stop and nothing Mm -hmm. moves. Um, Some you see lifting their front leg up, but it doesn't matter. It's all, you know, it's all about the intensity of the dog.
0: For sure. So, while we have you here, you know, we have a lot of listeners and a lot of beginners. You know, from natural ability or people that kind of they're they're just testing the waters and and wanting to go after that utility. With your experience, you know, let's start with the natural ability test. We let's give some pointers or, or tips or some common errors that you see consistently uh, on the tests that are handler caused it's not necessarily dog caused you know what do you see in the natural ability test most often that if the handler just didn't do x then they would have had better results
1: i, I would say the number one thing is lack of birds um they're, they're just people. I, I saw it last weekend at our, well, it wasn't really a training session. People were training. I see it all the time. I see dogs that are seven, eight, nine months of age, a year of age, and they come out and they have not given the dog any birds. Um, I, I start giving my dogs birds at the minute I get them, you know, it's eight weeks of age, they're going to get birds. So I, I don't think these dogs, I, I think, that a critical time has passed when they, I want to imprint on my dogs, like, Hey, these things are great, you know, and I, and I'm the source of them. I'm your bird. I'm your bird guy. Me. <laughs> you know, you and you and me are going to have a lot of fun. And when you're around me, you're going to get lots of birds and they're going to be really cool. And you're really going to like them. Um, I think that, you know, when you have a seven or eight month old dog or older and you have not given it any birds, it makes it really difficult. It's not impossible. Um, and they, I just see a lack of confidence in their birds. You see dogs, natural ability dogs and tests that want to dance around their birds. They don't stick them. They point them for a second. Like you said, they'll flash point them. They'll move in. That's a lack of confidence around birds. It's easily fixed with enough birds and, I can't tell you how many people I see that come out and say, "Yeah, I'll I'll take two birds." It's like, what are you going to do with two birds? It'd, it'd be better for you to come out once a month and give the dog ten birds and teach it something than to give it two birds every week. Right. Um, I, I just don't don't think people give their dogs enough birds early enough, and they don't manage the birds properly. And and look, it's um, it's not a cheap endeavor. You know, if you really want to train at a high level you're going to have to have some money in your wallet. Um, and y- you, know, you know how it goes, you know, you get the dog and then you get the truck and then you get the shotgun and <laughs> oh, yeah. you get a crate and you get a pile of birds and then you're in it, you know, and, um, why spend, you know, two grand on a, on a dog and you won't come off 15 bucks for a couple of birds, you know? Um, so I don't, I think that's universal. They don't, Natural ability is all about exposure um, and, and getting the dog out, but birds in the field are the most you got to get the dog pointing and, and have confidence around the birds. Um, I see that a lot in natural ability. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, that's a great point for, for the preparation of the test, but what about during the test? Do you sure. see some common, errors that should be, you know, kind of easily avoidable if the handler just kind of knows, like maybe the pheasant track, you know, the the handoff, I tell everybody that's probably the most handler-involved section of the NA test, in my opinion. Is there just a section of the NA test that if a handler just kind of knows more what they're getting into, heading into it, that, that it could be easily avoided?
1: Uh, yeah, I think there's probably two main parts that i see number one would be the release on the track um people are are you know we have new i'll kind of back up to give you a little idea what i'm talking about when we have new apprentices like if adam you were apprenticing with me and it was your first time and say we were running all natural ability dogs i would let you handle one you know i would let you see three or four see how it goes but i would ask you to handle one of the handlers so You have to go up and you have to give the speech, you know, and um, I say the same thing every time, every time I say the same thing. And I tell apprentices, practice that speech, you know, practice it. And I said, just know that they're not going to listen to you. (laughs) People don't listen. They're they're too nervous. It just goes right by, it goes over them. They're very nervous, especially first time Look, I've run a lot of dogs in nav to test. I still get really nervous. I think, I think when I stop getting nervous, it's time to play golf or something. It's Absolutely, not be anymore. Yep. You know, you you want to see your dog do well. You know, everybody does, but people get really nervous at a test and they do not listen. And for the track, you will say, "Okay, your feathers are here. The bird took a hop. It went five feet. There's another little pile of feathers there. Do you see that other pile?" Take your dog past that second pile of feathers. Make sure the dog is really interested. Put your hand on the ground. Don't let it go. If it's not interested, just hold on to it and bring it back again. Nine times out of 10, they'll walk up to the first feather pile. The dog will be looking in the opposite direction and they'll let him go. Yep. It happens all the time, all the time. So it's really, we're trying to help you. So you really got to listen to what we're saying. And They don't pay attention to the wind when they handle the dog in the field or they're bringing the dog up for the track. They have no, they have no idea about the wind. They don't pay attention to the wind. Obviously on a track, you want to get your dog down on it, downwind. Um, They'll release the dog upwind and the dog will be looking, you know, in, in the total opposite direction and let the dog go. And that, that, that really puts the dog in a hole.
2: The beginning you know well and the same um, i to to drags for that sake, I've been working on uh drags recently, you know, you and I were talking the other night, and I was finishing up a drag, and you're like, yeah, you might want to start working on drags. Um, I let my dog go on a drag the other night, and he was like probably ten feet off of where I thought he should be, and I was about to call him back and and start him over. But I noticed the wind and I thought, you know what? He's exactly where he's supposed to be. And uh, something Butch told me one time is, you know, the dog sees the world through its nose. Um, And if you really think about that, it, it makes sense. It helps you realize things like letting your dog be 10 feet or so off of where you think it should be. Well, it's looking at the track with its nose. So it makes a lot of sense.
1: And that's one thing we don't judge in the track is nose. There's nothing on the card for it. Um, I'm, I'm on the drag. I'm sorry.
2: Right. There's nothing
1: on the card for for nose in in the drag. I mean, look, you're dragging a dead duck out, and one or two people are walking there. I mean, the old saying is Ray Charles could find it. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's it's not a you know it's it's really. It, it, that's where talking about cooperation, that's where a lot of cooperation comes in. What does that dog do when he's out of sight of you? Does he eat it? Does he pee on it? Does he bury it? I've seen all the above. Yeah. Um, or does he pick it up and bring it back? So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. In, in the field, um, people don't pay, in in the natural ability field, people don't pay attention to the wind, and they will get told in the parking lot, don't say anything to your dog. It, it's, it, it happens all the time and they'll come up and we'll say, Hey, call your dog. Oh, am I allowed to call it? Yeah. You know? And we say, handle your dog as you normally would. Um, but people get nervous and they'll let the dog get into trouble, like get into the woods or go 400 yards away without calling it. And then, you know, some of the puppies are like, Hey, diddle diddle. I can do what I want. Nobody's saying anything and then they start getting into trouble so i think they fail to handle the dog it's like that in utility too sometimes with newer people and experienced people that they fail to give the command they can they let the wheels come off when a lot of times a command will fix it so give the dog a command and take your hit and don't let the wheels come off
2: yeah that's something i've been thinking about you know i've been pretty confident uh, prepping for the test. And now that I'm about a month out, I'm already getting nervous. So I'm sure when I step up to the line to get the, the brief from the judge, you know, after talking to you, I'll listen to what they say, but, uh, I know I'm going to be nervous and I've been trying to tell myself that I've got to handle the dog in the test just like I would any other time. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: I'm running a dog at the end of the month too. I mean, I'm, I'm nervous about it. Um, always, you know, I want my dog to do well.
0: And, and I think if you are going to give a command, make it count. Don't don't just give it a soft command. You know that I think Norm and and a few other judges down here said that. You know, the, you have people that get told all the time, don't give a command, and then when it's time to give a command, they're so nervous that they just kind of softly say it. And the, I mean, it just. That there's no chance that the dog's going to listen to it while out hunting. But I think that was all good points. What, what about the utility test? You know, real quick, what you gave a good one for, for the NA on preparation and then maybe during the test, what, what about the utility test? What are some common handler mistakes that you see with that?
1: I, I think that the biggest mistake is, um, probably not, giving that command when they need to give a command. Um, you know, the, the wheels are coming off a little bit and, and they're not, they don't fix it or they don't try to fix it. Um, I, I think that would probably be the, the biggest thing. and you know, you have, yeah you, know, you have a lot of people that are running utility for their first time and a lot of people that are running it for their 30th time. Um, the, the, more experienced handlers. When you watch them, I think it's really important for new people at training sessions to go out into the fields with the experienced people and watch how they handle the dog and watch how they set the dog up for success and watch how they communicate with the dog. Um, you know, it, it's, um, a lot of people won't do that. You know, they'll come, they'll kind of do their thing and, you know, they don't take the advantage of, of going out with those more experienced people and, and watching them. Um, but I, I think really if I could put one thing on it in a utility test, it's not being able to give that command. It's not, you know, fixing it. It's kind of letting dog get away with a couple of little things and then they become bigger things.
0: Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And you know, it, Norm, he's kind of the guy that mentors us down here. he, he advises everybody with utility. Think of the utility as just a big obedience test, really, you know, natural ability is one thing and invitational, but utility, if you have an obedient dog that gets out there and, and hunts, then, then you're going to be golden. And so kind of goes right into what you're saying. I mean, if you need to give a command, give the command, and that's what you've been working on is obedience. Yeah. Price one
1: utility dogs and versatile champions have, a lot of commonalities they're very obedient they're very cooperative it's hard to get a dog to that level that's not cooperative if you have to fight a dog the whole time it's very hard to get a dog to that level it really
2: is yeah i bet um mark what what are some of the interesting judging stories that you can share with us i mean what's some of the crazy stuff you've seen and some of the
0: what's the first one that comes to mind
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, I have, (laughs) I won't name any names, but I saw a guy one time, he was actually a judge, he's no longer around, and we were, he had driven us to the test, and I noticed on the back of his kennel, in the back of his truck, there was a dead squirrel, so in NAVDA, you can drag her if you want. You have to provide the fur. Nobody does it. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, you have to provide the fur and the fur and the fur has to be cold. You know, the game has to be cold. So he had a squirrel on his kennel in the back of his truck. And I'm like, what do you know with that squirrel? And he goes, I'm going to drag it. <laughs> and I was judging with Timmy Clark and we both looked at each other and went, oh, okay. So I had a big wire hair and... We drug, he drug, we drug this squirrel for him and the dog went out, picked up the squirrel, got like 75 yards from the handler, looked at him. Handler gave him a command. He came in about 40 yards and he stopped, looked right at the handler, never took his eyes off the handler, dropped that squirrel, dug a little hole and started burying the squirrel right in front of him. Oh man. So after (laughs) There was a, in clubhouse at this chapter, there was a little mounted squirrel. So every time he sat down, we stuck this mounted squirrel next to him it was his mascot for the rest of the day.
2: <laughs> Never got to live that one down. Oh, but
1: you, you see all kinds of crazy stuff. You really do. Um, that's what's fun about it. I mean, you see so many different dogs. First of all, you get to spend time with people that... um like to do what you do. I mean, there's everybody there likes to do what you do, which is always a good thing. And you get to meet a lot of really great people. Um, and you develop lifelong friendships. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hunting with people that I've met through judging, you know, I'm going up to Maine and hunting with my friend, Jason Wade, who's a judge. And, um, you know, you develop lifelong friendships. He he comes down here and deer hunts with me and, um, you know, you, you just, it's, you get to see, a. I mean, I've been to, you know, I've been all over Canada and I haven't been to California, I've been to Utah, that's as far west, but I've been to pretty much every place in between. Um, and you get to see a lot of places that you've never seen before, go to a lot of states you've never been. So it's really cool, but you do, you know, there's always times where you're like, wow, I've not seen that. You know, I've never seen that. Um, or does that dog have a nose problem or is he blinking? Um, so there's always, you know, there's always things like that, that, that come up. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a few dogs eat, eat some game occasionally. And, um, you know, you see, you know, you see crazy stuff like that. Um, it's, it's not a lot, but you do see it.
2: So after doing this for so long, Mark, does it get to the point where when you meet up with the handler to give him your speech, are you, can you pretty much have an idea of how they're going to do before even seeing their dog in the field? I know you're not judging their dog before you actually see it, but you kind of have an um, idea. I that... can
1: pretty, yeah, I can pretty much. Well, I, I don't know if I can predict how their dog's going to do in the field. We talk about that a lot, you know, in the judging circle, um, you know, this is the next dog. You, you know, you think it's going to track, you think we're going to get a track out of this dog and, um, you know, just based on what we saw in the field. And, you know, sometimes the dog just goes and tears the track up and, you know, we might've been skeptical if that dog was going to track, you know, maybe it was really, really getting out there in the field and really uncooperative. And, you know, you're always worried about that. We need to do a track because you have a limited amount of field. And if the dog runs all the way across the field, you can't use it. Um, you have to let it you know, cool down before you use it. So, um, I, I can tell generally the experience level of people when they come up to the line. If you see a person in a brand new orange vest with no blood on it, that person's probably fairly inexperienced.
2: Yeah. Everything's brand new, still has tags hanging on. Everything's
1: brand new. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'll be sure to rub some dirt on my stuff before I test (laughs) in a month. But
1: you know, that's great. We, we love to see those people. Um, and we hope they have a really great experience. A lot of them will not go on to, um, testing utility. It's just a fact. Yeah. Um, you you know, a lot of people are one and done, but you hope they get a really good experience. You hope they get a positive experience. Um, and you hope they say good things about the organization that they had a positive, um, fun experience. So, um, we, we love, we love seeing new people uh, and we love seeing youth handlers we're seeing more and more youth handlers and that's always a lot of fun always a lot of fun
0: absolutely that's that's why we enjoy doing it is bringing new people to it and hopefully they yeah. they get bit by the bug and they stick around and kind of follow in your footsteps and uh, you know become judges and the judge apprentice mentor and all that crazy <laughs> stuff. But, yeah. uh, Mark, we, we really enjoy you making a time for us tonight. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on, uh, specifically before we let you go?
1: Uh, no, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, you guys are doing a great job getting the word out and, um, you know, whatever you do with your dog, um, you know, is, is certainly fine with me if you're a rally person or if you're an akc person at least you're doing something with it um so that's that's all good and hopefully you have good experiences with your dogs and treat them right and uh bring them along correctly so that's that's what it's all about is um you know keeping keeping good dogs out there breeding the best of the best
2: for sure well mark we appreciate it and uh it's good to catch up I, i definitely got a few notes from this conversation on some things to to work on and things to be aware of when i'm prepping my dog for the test and really more importantly prepping him for hunting season so i appreciate it yeah good luck yeah you too i'll talk to you soon and see how dean does on the test
0: yeah hopefully well yep i'm sure he will we'll see (laughs) all right appreciate it mark
1: all right no problem anytime
2: Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under gun dog it Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gun dog Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting.
0: Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out BeProKennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance.